Welcome to God, Yay or Nay. I'm your host, Noor Kidwai. I'm here to find out how we grow, transform, and become our best selves. How we create meaning in our lives. Come join me on my journey. Welcome to another episode of God, Yay or Nay. This is your host, Noor Kidwai. Thanks for tuning in. My guest this week is Catherine Colleen. Catherine has her PhD in mathematics. She also was an author of many books and articles, and she developed this 11 stages of human or spiritual development. It's really interesting. I hope you guys enjoy. She explains it in the podcast. Let's check me out on Instagram at NoorKidWai. Please like and subscribe to the podcast. Give it a good rating. That always helps. And we're part of the Comedy Here Often podcast network on 604 Records, so give them a shout out too. Guys, let's get into this week's episode. My guest this week, Catherine Colleen. Welcome to another episode of God, Yay or Nay. I'm here with Catherine Colleen. Catherine, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. You, uh, I'm excited too. You have, uh, you developed this new, um, I guess you could call it uh, kind of stages of like uh, human growth and development and mm-hmm. stuff. And we'll get into that. And uh, before we do that, though, um, why don't you give my audience just a little like uh, idea of like where you came from and like your background, please? Yeah, it's kind of, I've had a very interesting life. I, um, so I came up um, typical uh, middle class upbringing and very fortunate. Um, my parents prized education above all else. So, so it was academic achievement, academic achievement, academic achievement. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I think a lot of people can identify with that. And, uh, and so I was very academically focused for a long time. Um, I got a PhD in mathematics in an interesting little sub area called non-monotonic reasoning, which is basically the math of how humans think how we think, how we take in new information and go, oh, I'm surprised I was wrong, or yes, I seem to be right, and how we form these conclusions and think and, and take that forward. And that was fascinated me, people. Um, and so I went into the defense world. Uh, I was a professor for a while, then I was in the defense industry doing defense technology. And, and it felt very purposeful and, and fulfilling. I was making protective systems and you see the themes arising already. <laughs> How do people work? How can I protect people? How can I serve people? But, um, uh, and, and it was quite a ride. Um, my last uh, tour in, in the defense industry was at DARPA, which is the big technology developer. They developed the internet back in the, in the 50s mm-hmm. um, and uh, stealth technology, all really cool out on the edge stuff. Yeah. Uh, so that was super exciting because I love to geek out on all things science and tech. And, uh, but when I got out of that, I wanted a complete change um, because thinking about war all the time can be a real downer. And uh, I wanted to think about people as good and wonderful and beautiful, which is how I really felt about people. So I started doing some you know, consulting for VC firms who were doing work in the DOD space. I like take a little step away. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Lucrative, yes, but kind of soul sucking work. So um, there was this really pivotal moment when um, we reached a good point financially. And uh, and I had always talked about what I really wanted to do, which was study uh, personal growth, spiritual development. I wanted to do some more spiritual development of my own I wanted to make music I wanted to make art these are things that don't make money (laughs) but they're incredibly nourishing to the soul and I wanted to do all that and so he dared me one day like I dare you quit and go do those things quit and go make an album quit and go make a painting I dare you and I was like oh Oh, it's on now, right? <laughs> I can't, I cannot, I can I have to face a challenge. Put that in front of me. Okay, all right, we're gonna do it. Uh, and it was terrifying. I didn't know how to play an instrument. I I was terrified of, of singing because um, 
uh, I'd had some some baggage from from childhood. My dad was like, "You can't sing. You don't. You shouldn't do that." Uh, you go do some math right. problems. <laughs> you go do some math problems, right? He was terrified. I was almost in a band once, and he was like, "Uh, uh-uh, uh, no, 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 no. Go do some math, maybe some physics." And uh, so that really like got squashed. So, so it was all this beautiful baggage that I got to grow beyond, and I got to work with you know, the, to get in front of a mic and sing, uh, to, to write lyrics and put your soul out there, to paint something, to explore a topic. And I did all those things and whoo, man, it was great because it fuels your, your spiritual growth as, mm-hmm. as well as you're kind of, you're shedding this mud that you've layered over your soul. And as you clean that off, it starts to come forth and it's exciting. So you do more, right? And this, yeah, and, and so having gone through all that and that growth, that journey that, that we all take at some point, um, I, I finally got to a place where I, I felt complete. I felt more whole. I felt all those things that we all seek to feel uh, grounded in my life that I knew what I wanted to do. And, and, uh, and I'm sitting there and I'm looking back on the whole journey going, you know, it's been 12 years since the day that I really woke up, that first day that I woke up and I looked in the mirror and it looked like I didn't even know who I was. I I was looking in my own eyes in the mirror like I was looking at this strange person going, what the hell, right? (laughs) And and it's so 12 years from that point and I'm going, oh my God, does it have to take so long? And, And Ultimately, it's a lifelong journey, but I thought I always felt like I was stumbling around because the way that most people take the journey is they, you know, they kind of have an awakening, usually some kind of an event or simple for me is my 31st birthday. (laughs) And, um, and, and you grab some books and you read them and you think about the big questions and then maybe you, you listen to the podcasts and you grab some more books and it's this very kind of stumbling path. Um, eventually, the universe brings some teachers to you, some mentors, it might be your yoga teacher, it might be, uh, you know, a fitness trainer, a strength coach, it's often something sort of physical like that. Uh, and you learn from them, and they help to guide you. Um, and I'm like, Oh, my gosh, does it have to be so stumbling? Does it have to be so kind of catch as catch can? And so I started researching it. And that's when I found that for about 50 years, really fantastic researchers had been looking into this exact same question. I was not the first person to go, why does this take so long? And, and they each had kind of looked at a piece of the elephant. So uh, Keegan had researched really early life, childhood into early adulthood development, as you might expect it. And, and, but even that was insightful, how a child develops. At first, they see no separation between themselves and their parents or anybody else. They don't realize there's any separation. And I think that's hilarious because they come into the world with the right idea and then have to kind of work all the way back around. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> yeah, and, and but, then, but then somewhere around two years old, all of a sudden you can't just cry and scream and get away with it anymore. And your parents start imposing rules and regulations and you go, wait, what, what? You know, I can't just do anything I want. And it starts to bring this sense of separation and you start to have experiences, sometimes negative experiences of, oh, I got in trouble for that. Um, or, or, or that worked, I got a cookie. <laughs> you start to, to uh, incorporate those experiences into yourself. Um, and then you realize that you have needs. I'm hungry, I'm tired. They start out basic, but as we get older, and we traverse this cycle of stages again, those needs might be emotional, intellectual, spiritual. Um, And you have to focus on your needs. And then uh, that's very like teenager, the first time you see it, right? Yeah. yeah. All about me, I need this, I need that. (laughs) And other, other people, when you're in that stage, that stage three, other people are a mechanism for the fulfillment of your needs. They're not really people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Right. Okay. And uh, yeah. And then you, and then you, once you're fulfilling your needs, you bump over into stage four, which is others. And it dawns on you that there are other people in this world and they're actually like people. 
and they have needs too. And you're like, what? And <laughs> your parents are people and they have needs and it's like crazy. Um, and then so that's usually about 20 years old, plus or minus, everybody's different. And then you go into stage five, uh, which is ideology. Now, why? Because in stage four, you're focusing on others' needs and there's so many others and they have so many needs, but you have needs too. And how are you supposed to prioritize this? Mm. Because I mean, 8 billion people on the planet, how can I serve all their needs and serve my needs? Well, it can't be done. So, so psychologically, you need a way to prioritize the needs that you're serving of yourself and others. So the brain, the ego develops ideology. Oh, okay which is really, yeah, I know. And all this was out there. I just found it and went, well, how is this not taught in high school? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> if I had known this, oh my gosh, this process would have been so much faster. So ideology, this is religious, it's political, social, moral. Uh, heck, it's, it's your ideology about how you eat. You know, well, I eat these foods. I don't eat those foods. It's every little rule you make in your life and, uh, and it helps you to figure out what to do each day. Mm -hmm. So you need it, you need it. But the problem is in stage five, you get identified with it. I am my ideology. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the key of these stages. And each one, it's how you're defining yourself. So in stage one, I am everything. In stage two, I am my experiences and you're just trying to deal with your experiences. In stage three, I am my needs. In stage four, other people have needs and I have needs and I have to fulfill everybody's needs. And stage five, I am my ideology. I am my rule system. I am my beliefs. And well, we, I think we're all familiar with a lot of that today. So yeah, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> very, this is a very, because society as a whole is evolving along this cycle too, which is where it gets extra interesting. Um, so at the, we're a very stage five society right now and that's okay because every single stage is important every single stage is critical if you don't finish one if you don't fulfill your needs in stage three to move on to stage four you will be pulled back there okay. we, we see this with we see this with parents that get burned out right um you know it's about the kids it's about the kids it's about the kids but their needs aren't being met and as an adult, those needs might be intellectual or professional development or spiritual growth, and they get burned out. And at some point they freak out and they get pulled back to stage three and go, what about me? Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> what about what I need? Oh yeah. my God, can I get a minute to myself, right? Yeah, and yeah. Um, yeah, when you're sick, you get pulled back to stage three because you need to focus on self and recover, you know, surgeries, injuries, illnesses. Uh, and then you work your way kind of back through again. Yeah. So ideology is stage five. Um, and then it flips over to live and let live because defending your ideology and getting upset at everybody else's uh, is No, I think uh, most of us have experienced that in the last few years. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So eventually you just go, ah, okay, you know what? Never mind. You do you, I'll do me. It's all good. Mm -hmm. You're still defined in large part by your ideology, but you just don't care to defend it anymore. You don't get upset at anybody else's. You don't feel offended or angry. Everybody can do their own thing, live and let live. And that's, um, that's where a lot of people, sometimes they stop right there. And you can live your whole life right there. But for most people at some point in your life, and this is triggered by a major event, um, it could be the death of a parent, it could be a divorce, that's pretty common trigger. It, it could be uh, a who knows what, a, um, a, a major illness. Yeah, like some, a big trauma kind of thing. Right? A, big, a big deal um, pushes you into the next stage, which stage seven, which is questioning everything. The, the dark night of the soul, the first time that you go through it, you don't know what's real anymore. You don't know you know, who am I? What am I here for? All these ideologies seem, they seem wrong. I reject them all, all of them wholesale, all of them, everything's wrong in the world. Um, you can get a lot of depression there. 
Um, you can get a lot of loneliness. You're just questioning everything. Um, and the first time you go through questioning everything, it is the dark night of the soul. It's hard mm-hmm. because you had this world, you had this perfect little world all put together. And then the universe came along and went smush and destroyed the whole thing. Ha, 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 ha. And you're like, oh, what's real? I don't even know what's real anymore. But the next time, because this is a cycle, the next time you come back through questioning everything, it's not so scary because you've been through it before. Mm. And, and the third time and the fourth time, and now it's almost fun to sit there and go, well, society says ABC, but I think they're full of crap. So I'm not going to do any of that. I'm going to question and have fun and I'm going to innovate and I'm going to find a new way that's right for me. Um, and so it, it gets better. That's the good news. Every t- mm-hmm. stage seven actually gets really fun. Um, Which is the first time it's hell. <laughs> no, the first time is hell. So, so a lot of people don't want to go through that. They don't want to because you're going to face all your demons in there. Yeah, uh, yeah. You're, yeah, all your all your past, everything you've ever done. You've got to get that self forgiveness in there. So, so it's scary. It's scary. It's, but, uh, um, I think I've uh, been through something like that. The way you're describing <laughs> it, I know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You have, right, and it's terrifying, and it feels so lonely the first time that you're mm, going through it. Mm-hmm. Um, you think nobody understands, and the funny part is that ever everybody will understand eventually, but a lot of people have already been there. Um, and then if you can get through that, and you get to stage eight, and this is just where it gets beautiful. Eight is purpose, because now you've got an idea. Why am I here? What is it I really want to do? And you get it fired up and it's exciting. And you start carrying forth a purpose. You may have many purposes over your life. Um, And then you start to think about, this is where that spiritual development really gets heavy and intense and uh, and fun. This is the good stuff, I think. (laughs) Um, And then you get to stage nine, which is, I am a consciousness, right? Like it, like, you know, you're not this body, you know, you're not these thoughts, but you like really get it. You're like, oh my God, I am a consciousness. I am a consciousness in this body, almost like trapped in this body. And you start to sort of explore that. Um, and as you explore that more, then, then you get to stage 10 where you can really internalize that there is only one consciousness. And when that hits you, like for real, there's a difference between knowing it and really, really knowing it in your bones. Mm. Uh, When that hits you, the first time that full understanding really hits you, it's almost like the world around you just turns this dissolved, hazy gray and you go, oh my God, nothing's real. (laughs) It's all one consciousness. And, uh, you know, and, and, but you still have, the body as separate. And so then when you get to stage 11, it's that I am the one consciousness and the physical manifestation, all of this, all of this, all of you, and there is no difference. It is all the same and I am all. And and now that stage is incredibly hard to maintain. (laughs) Because you, you know, you have to live life. This is why monks isolate themselves. Yeah, Um, yeah. Because if you go out and say, well, I have to go grocery shopping. I have to get in the car and drive on the road with people that are acting crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Go to the grocery (laughs) store and and be in this world. And when you're in this world, then you're triggering amygdala responses. And you're, and, uh, you know, you you just around the cycle we go and around we go. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's, so when I found this cycle, I was like, how has this existed for, you know, 30 to 50 years? Each person had a little piece. About 10 different people had a little piece. Uh, Keegan, Fowler, uh, Jane Lovinger uh, should get a lot more credit. She did some phenomenal work on those later stages. Sri Aurobindo uh, in the 1950s out of India. uh, Fantastic work on that late stage spiritual development. And so what I did is I put the elephant together. I'm like, oh, cause they, I noticed that the stages each person had come up with, they overlapped and I daisy chained them and said, oh, it's just one big long sequence of 11 stages. And then it came um, during a meditation, like somebody smacked me upside the head and went, it's a circle, <laughs> it's yeah. not a line. It's not a staircase of achievement. We're not trying to level up and then feel bad when we backslide. This is a cycle and we go round and we go round and we go round. And you can't not 
go around, but you can move through the early stages more quickly and get to the good stuff and stay there longer. Um, and so, yeah, and, and, uh, and so it, it occurred to me, if I had known this, if I had known that these, that I was going through these stages, I could have guided my own personal development a lot more effectively. So let's say you're in stage three and you have needs. You need to make rent. You need to buy food. Uh, you have professional and intellectual needs. Um, you don't have time to be thinking about the nature uh, of consciousness and yeah. connecting to the one consciousness, right? You've got to make rent. <laughs> so one thing at a time, you have to fulfill your needs before we move on. And, and I see students, um, I call them students because we're all students of this journey. Mm-hmm. They start this journey and you really want to start at step, just go all the way back to stage one to make sure you've completed each stage. And they just need to work on their needs. They just need to clear time on their schedule, grab a, a journal of some form. Uh, it's not time to be reading uh, Paul Selig yet. <laughs> like, yeah, not time to be reading the big, uh, the big question the, books, the right? Big, <laughs> the big question books that that uh, Paul Selig. I love his work. It's like walking through molasses, but it's there's such wisdom in there you're not, that's going to turn you off if you read that too soon. Mm. So I realized if I had just read the books in the right order, if I had asked the questions of myself in the right order, that I could have done this a lot faster. Okay. And I'm, I'm an incredibly impatient person and I'm working on that. (laughs) (laughs) But I was built that way for a reason. And I think it is because of this mission. So uh, my mission is to unite humanity in peace, which at first I rejected because I'm like, how do you expect me to do that? That's ridiculous. And there's lots of people working on that from a top down government nation level. And that's awesome. And that needs to be done. But I decided to come at it from a bottom up individual uh, direction. Mm. If an individual is on this journey and learning about themselves and growing spiritually, they don't wanna bother other people. You don't want to cause trouble. Mm-hmm. You know, you're too interested in your own purpose and in the purpose of others. And it's exciting. Um, you're not trying to steal and murder and start wars. Um, so I thought if I could help each person in their awakening and in their journey and make that more efficient, make it enjoyable um, and a little less stumbly, um, then I think. I could get humanity to, to peace faster. And I realized that I really only had to help a small number of people and then ask those people to help more people. And those people help more people and those head people help more people. Yeah, yeah. And if, even if it's just two at a time, that seems intractable, but I am a math geek. Ha, I ran ha, the numbers. Ha, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so if I help two people and they help two people and they help two people, and so on, 32 layers of that, eight and a half billion people yeah, have now yeah. had the journey. So I'm like, what, that's doable. And, uh, and I'm not gonna, so I, I, I go around talking about the stages and, uh, and just trying to convince people to help two people. And they're like, how is that gonna get you there? And I'm like, let me show you the math. <laughs> this, <laughs> this is cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, and yeah. so yoga teachers will, will bring me in uh, because uh, yogis, uh, that's often like a first stop that people make on their journey. And I was the same way. When I first woke up, I didn't really know what to do. I knew I needed to do something. You know, you feel compelled. Mm-hmm. I need to. And what growth. stage would that be at? Yeah. So, well, I woke up probably in four, but everybody wakes up in a different stage. I was in four because I had small children. Okay. So like you're and, caring, and, you're thinking about their needs a lot. Right. Right. And that's pretty typical young mother. Um, I was 31 at the time. For some reason, why 31? Why not 30? I don't know. You wake up when you wake <laughs> up, right? Some people wake up much younger, some much later, some not at all. Um, mm-hmm. And it could be uh, in any stage. Sometimes the exhaustion of ideology 
uh, is enough to wake people up and go, okay, forget it. You know, I'm stepping back and focusing on my own growth. Um, but I had to go back. So I woke up in four of these small children. They take a lot of work. Um, I had to go back and make up the holes that I had in stage one, two, three, focusing a lot on kids. Parents often have needs that are unmet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and they all know it. They're like, can I go to the bathroom by myself? <laughs> can yeah, I just... yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it's the same if you have a dog. It's no yeah. different. <laughs> like, Do you have to be in here? Um, you know, so I, you know, I need a minute to myself. I need, and you have to start articulating and what do I need? And so I didn't know. So typically people begin with something physical. I think I need more exercise. I think I need better nutrition. I think I need, uh, you know, some, some time to focus on me. So I'll take a yoga class. Mm. So when that's often a first beginning symptom (laughs) of the journey, the new people in the gym, the new people in the yoga class. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, or just, they just start, you know, I'm going to go outside and run, or I'm going to start meditation. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, that's where I began too. Uh, you know, I bought an elliptical machine, put it in the, lo- in the living room and got up a half hour early <laughs> <laughs> before the kids would be awake. Right. And go, I'm going to, this 30 minutes is for me. And then would slowly add to that. Now I'm going to take another 30 minutes at night to journal. Now I'm going to take another, you know, I'm going to try a 15 minute meditation and in the middle of the day or something like that. And you, you add and you add and you add. Mm. Uh, and the next thing you know, you're a, a spiritual guru doing this 24 seven traveling the US in a vintage tour bus. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe not everybody ends up there, but um but it's, uh, but that's kind of, that's where I'm at. And that's what I'm doing. Now, sometimes it's not just yoga teachers that'll bring me in, although that's always a fun one. We'll get a little bit bigger group that way, maybe 12 people. Um, but it's uh, sometimes just individuals, just yeah. random individual who's been, you know, reading, I put out articles and, um, oh my God, 15 books and music albums and all the things. And they'll go, oh my God, she's in town. And they'll text me, uh, which people can do on the site. I'm probably far too open about that. But I'm like, hey, text me, here's the number. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and they'll go, hey, um, I'm gonna get some friends together. Can you meet us at this coffee shop next Tuesday at 10 a.m.? Mm. I'm like, yeah, cool. You know, what do you wanna talk about? Well, we have questions about, about these stages or these topics, or, uh, or it'll be a, um, a group of, um, of couples maybe who want to talk about tantric work. Uh, and, uh, and, and cause I, I have a new sort of new twist on, uh, on, uh, connecting through sexuality with your, with your partner. So sometimes we'll have partner groups, oh, okay. um, that that's been incredibly popular. Uh, everybody wants to talk about sex. So <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot of fun <laughs> and, uh, and it can be a beautiful part of, of your, of your spiritual growth as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it's a very unusual kind of, of tour, but I really like it though, because in these small groups, I can really connect with people. No, I bet. Um, and no, that, yeah. I want to say that seems, uh, I love what you're doing. I think that seems like pretty damn amazing. Um, actually, I do want to talk about that uh, tantra thing, but we'll get to that eventually. I'm still like interested we'll in this uh, development, uh, like the 12, uh, the 11 stages. Um, yeah. The one thing I really love mm-hmm. about this whole cycle thing, and like one thing I've noticed from my own like kind of like spiritual growth is this like how there's like this kind of build up of an identity and then like a come down. It's kind of like seasons that like, you know, like, you know, seasons like there's growth and then there's death. And like, uh, it feels like that too. Like you build up an ideology and then you slowly let it go. And then you yes. eventually you get to like questioning everything. And then you all of a sudden start building up a purpose. So I love that kind of like natural flow to it and uh, you you say this kind of like works with uh, societies as well right it does oh but and I and this was an interesting pattern that I I noticed um again I'm such a geek I researched this stuff I'm like what what are groups of people because a town is nothing but a collection of individuals Mm -hmm. A, a, a state a nation the whole of humanity it's a whole bunch of individuals but it's just a collection of individuals so if you were to (laughs) <laughs> plot math geek stuff uh you would end up if you plotted a society 
um, on the stages and say, how many people do we have in each stage in this society? So if you ask every individual, where are you at today? Because this can flow day to day. Uh, where are you at today? You would end up with this normal curve with the big bump in the middle and the two tails on the end. And the, the peak would be in some particular stage. You'd have more people in, let's say stage five and a smaller number in four and six mm. and a smaller number, you know, yeah, in yeah. flanking it, right? You've always got some people in the early stages because um, new people are being born yeah, every course. minute, right? Course, so course. You have, yeah, yeah. And, and they have to go through the cycles too. And you've always got a few people way, way over there in 10 and 11, just blissed out in oneness. Ha, ha, um, ha, ha, ha. But most people, you know, are somewhere in between. So, um, but yeah, so, so developing countries would be kind of a stage three. Um, many Western countries are very stage five right now. A good election cycle will put any society very stage five. Ideology. And that's like ideology. Um, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and, and th that's quite natural. And we shouldn't be down on ourselves about or judge anybody harshly out it. These, these are important stages. You do need an ideology to get through your day and make good choices mm -hmm. for yourself. Um, but we just don't want to see that as the whole of who we are. You know, we're so much more than that. Um, and you have other societies who may be questioning everything, that a whole society in the dark night of the soul, lots of... Um, upheaval and and disruption and but but i believe even as a whole of humanity that that we are traversing this cycle collectively as well and that eventually we get to a live and let live society we get to a purpose-driven society we get to a society thinking about consciousness uh and oneness and that will be beautiful so i i do believe we are destined for an incredible sort of lasting piece uh when uh, i don't know <laughs> but yeah. i think we'll get there <laughs> and like how you said it's like kind of cycles because like um i think a lot of countries in history have like uh, looked at like had a purpose-driven a country and like it's done wonders for it like i know a lot of europe and the states like when they went through their best times after world war ii like i think that was a lot of like purpose-driven like hey we want to become more like unified and we want to like uh you yeah. know build up our technology and society and like uh, it ended up having a lot of growth and a lot of like prosperity yeah. Um, but yeah. then, then we went through the cycles then, again. Wow, <laughs> right, you know, yeah, and it's, and it's funny, you know, and you see it with the pandemic is such a beautiful textbook example. Prior to that, uh, we'll just we'll just pick on the US because it's where I'm at right now. But, um, you know, prior to the pandemic, a lot of people were talking, oh, the purpose driven life and, and what is consciousness? And they were thinking these questions, beautiful stage eight, nine, 10 questions. And then wham, pandemic, where there's nothing like illness to drag you right back to stage three and everybody's afraid. Yeah, and there's just fear is that dominant emotion in that stage. And, um, and, uh, and it just sucked us right back. And then, and then you could watch it happen. So everybody was afraid and headlines were very fearful. And then you started to see these videos of people singing from the balconies in Italy and, and serving lunches to truck drivers to keep them going, you know, hey, we need you guys, keep going. And it was beautiful. It was very stage four, other people have needs, let's get together and serve each other. And then of course, then we had to be where we have to be right now, which is stage five. <laughs> so we, we got pulled to three and we went bopping back through it again. And, uh, but the good news is next is stage six, live and let live. Yeah. No stage lasts forever. Yeah. And I think that's pretty healthy for a society to be into that. Like, <laughs> Hey, uh, we have differences. Yeah. We have differences, but Hey, we can do that. Um, I wanted to know, like, uh, cause you said you like come from a background of mathematics, like, um, yeah. So it's such like an analytical world and like us, like everyone's so logical. Like, did you have these kind of like thoughts and like aspirations back then? And like, how did people react to it? Oh yeah. So, so ever since, I mean, I, w I was born a meditator when I was three, I would go into the backyard and sit in the grass and meditate. I didn't know what I was doing. I just knew that I had to sit 
and listen to the silence. And my parents were like, that's a weird kid. Yeah, no and, kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and I knew I was weird. I knew I was different. I'm like, yeah, but this is what I need. And so they are like, whatever, do you think, kid? And, um, you know, in the same, same all through um, my childhood, I would, I had this journal where I was, I, I'm, I'm 13 and I'm asking these questions like, I wonder if the universe will expand and then contract again. And then what is the universe? And I'm like, these are weird questions for a 13 year old. But I was thinking these things, but the technical track professionally was the only one laid out for me. Like, <laughs> the only one by, by, my, by my parents, by your parents that, okay. that this was approved. I could continue to get my parents positive attention if I stayed on that track. And I did enjoy the math. I did enjoy the questioning and the wondering. Mm. Um, and so when I found this, this weird little niche of math that was actually fairly new about the way humans think, it, I was able to go, oh, okay, I can have my interest in humanity and I can have the math at the same time. And uh, yeah, I, I find that so interesting to like put mathematics on like human reasoning that uh, that's uh, very interesting yeah. to me. I didn't even know that could happen. <laughs> it's very cool. And it's, it's the basis of artificial intelligence, but with a twist, it's uh, this particular area because it's much more human. It's not just an if then rule. Most people, they think they go through their lives going, well, if this, then I'll do that. Hmm. But it's not true because what happens is you've got all these assumptions that you're making that you don't even realize you're making assumptions. You say, well, if it's Monday morning, then I will drive to work. Well, yeah, if your car doesn't break down or if you don't get a flat tire, you're making all these assumptions that everything's mm -hmm. gonna go perfectly according to plan. And then all of a sudden it doesn't and you go, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so this, that area of math, non-monotonic reasoning is, is, is very new. It only came about in the 60s, which for math is like, you didn't think there was anything new, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and so it includes that. So it's an if then, but with this extra piece in the middle that details your assumptions. I like that. And, and, and you know, when I, when I got out of that world and I was much more spiritually focused, I was surprised to find how much I kept bringing that back in. So let's say you have a limiting belief, right? You, you find yourself, you're talking down on yourself. You know, mm -hmm. oh, oh, I'm, I'm lesser, I'm not good enough, all these ridiculous things that we tell ourselves. You can detail that, write it all out, get it out there, put it out there, what you think, all these horrible things about yourself, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just the other day, I still dig around and find these, these things that crept in there in childhood and they're lodged in your subconscious and I, I just, rah, I hate them, but they're, <laughs> you know, you got to dig them up and deal with them. And you write it out. And then I can look at everything I wrote out and go, that's not true. That's an assumption. I don't know that, you know, or, or this piece is true, but this is just an assumption. And, and where can I poke a hole in my own logic and get my brain to release this crazy thought? Um, and uh, so, so it comes in. I'm also, I, I love to geek out on astrophysics. And I find that the more I study um, the universe from, from the quantum level, the tiniest down to the galactic level, the more I see uh, characteristics of humanity in that. And I think it's all the same at every level, at the human level, at the galactic level, and so on. Um, yeah, that's, uh, that's amazing. I, I love that. And like, I, I think when you're always looking at, uh, I'm not, <laughs> trust me, I don't know too much about quantum physics or astrophysics, <laughs> but I, I do know that whole idea of like cycles and everything is pretty much like in all of that, yeah. right? Yeah. So at every level, you see these cycles at every level, concepts of birth and death and renewal, concepts of seasons, concepts of moving, everything's moving, everything's evolving, everything's changing all the time. Um, even when we think we're stagnant, we're not. Life is changing us and evolving us. So are these themes. And when you find these themes that are true in the science, in the religion, in the philosophy, in the art, in the music, and it's everybody saying the same thing, that is really powerful. Mm. That's where the truth is. Um, and so it's funny, you know, we, you think there's no crossover, but you study, you know, that you'll get this announcement out of CERN of the Large Hadron Collider. Uh, we found the God particle. Really? <laughs> ha, 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 ha. That's a big statement. 
I think they, I think they've got something to it, but, but it's, you know, these physicists, they have spiritual needs too. Yeah. They want to know too. They, you know, but they're just coming at it from a different angle. No, a hundred percent. And did, when you were like around a lot of like uh, mathematicians and scientists and stuff like that, uh, did you notice like a lot of them had a spiritual life? Well, what I, um, it depended on if they had woken up yet or not. Mm. And what I did notice is, is because everybody is at a different stage, every different ages, different. And what do, what do you mean by like wake woken up? Like, how, how uh-huh. you, yeah, yeah. Uh, so like, just so well, our that's, audience kind of knows. That's the big one, right? Yeah, yeah. Yes. So, well, I'll describe it for, for myself. I, I woke up one morning. It was a normal morning. You do the normal thing to get the kids ready, get ready to go to work. And I'm getting ready and I'm looking in the mirror and it's like somebody else was looking out of my eyes at me. Mm. It, something inside had awoken and taken over and was looking, it was like the human me had driven us into a ditch and somebody else woke up and went, what have you done? <laughs> all of a sudden I could look around at my life and see all the things I didn't like mm. and was, or that didn't feel right that didn't fit right and you start with this bit of frustration because you don't want to admit it and maybe you don't like your job yeah or maybe there's a problem with your spouse or or there's something else and uh but so yes yeah, the best I can describe it something something in you literally opens its eyes and takes over and and is <clears throat> they call it the silent observer no i, I is, know is, what you're kind of talking that about one? oh yeah and uh like it's yeah. more of like you're kind of like your deeper consciousness like it's pretty yeah. much what you're trying to connect with when you're doing like meditation or psychedelics or any of these kind of yeah. like uh, exercises <laughs> yes. right you're trying to like connect with that deeper self deeper into intuition any of whatever you want to name it but I I understand that so like you you just noticed in like uh like the mathematical world researcher world like there's like they they were just people yeah Yeah, so it wasn't that they woke up earlier or later they would have the same triggers it may be a major life event a major birthday um or just something just snapped on the way to work that day <laughs> and they had and all of a sudden they're you know just kind of sitting in their office looking around like this is the weirdest thing I've ever seen you know yeah, and course. and how strange this life how strange this body what what is this why am I here and and so they would they would come into their journey the same as pretty much everybody else mm-hmm. but when they did they would approach it very analytically very you know like a project yeah um and and because that there tends to be very highly you know lots of phds just run around everywhere um they um they they would just sort of treat it like an academic thing right i'm going to give myself reading assignments i'm going to read this book then i'm going to read this book i'm going to read this book you know (laughs) and they would go for the hard stuff first because scientists tend to love a challenge right so instead of starting with let's say Dave Ramsey and getting their finances in order, they go grab the Paul Selig and get completely confused and confounded and discouraged. And, um, and, uh, and they do the same things we all do. They kind of bumble around, but they, too, they, too didn't, they do tend to go for it with gusto. <laughs> mm. <laughs> no, because like I've, I've always loved the idea of like uh, our sciences and mathematics math math mathematicians and any of the people in these kind of fields like I love it to have for them to have like also a spiritual life as well around it because yeah those are always my favorite types of scientists like I guess like the one popular culture one we can talk about is like Carl Sagan right uh he was yeah like I just loved him because it was just like uh not only just somebody who was so interested in like the cosmos but he was also so interested in like poetry and like nature as well and like the spiritual aspect to it and uh, yeah, I always love that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we, we see that with a, lo- a lot of them, although they don't always, they aren't always open about it. And, and this is just a, sort of a societal aspect, right? We don't always talk about our journey, mm-hmm. especially like at work. Um, you know, well, I really had an awakening this weekend. You know, we, we just, I wish we would, but at the moment we don't. 
And so like, for example, Oppenheimer, one of the greatest physicists that ever lived, worked on the Manhattan Project, the, the development of the, of the atomic bomb. Mm-hmm. And he was there witnessing the, the test. And he saw what he and many others had created. Mm. And what he said is all the insight into his world that you need. What he said was, I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. Mm. That's a direct quote from Vishnu from the Bhagavad Gita. Yeah. And you go, wait a minute. (laughs) 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 So he had been studying this for a long time. Enough that when he saw what, and he was very actually upset with what he, he had helped create after that point. Once they saw it, he's like, oh God, I wish I had not been involved with mm-hmm, this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and his crisis of conscience that, that came with that and, um, and the spiritual aspects that I'm sure he had to work with uh, after that. But that's- Yeah, it probably, <laughs> uh, probably uh, p- p- pushed him into the question everything stage pretty right? quickly. Oh my gosh, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, like uh, even like Einstein, I think was like very influenced yes. by the Bhagavad Gita. I can't even say that. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, well, um, yeah. we have a little bit of time left. I I did wanted to talk about the whole idea of like you're saying like the new idea of tantra that you teach to people uh yeah why don't you explain that to my audience what you uh what you teach yeah so so this was fun um uh as we go down our spiritual journey i love to try uh everything right i have Mm. not yet had a psychedelic experience but i'm looking forward to that in a few months so i'll have to report back but um but i try you know on the meditation and the yoga and the other things and so of course at some point i had to give tantra a go (laughs) and and when we use that word that in the west that is almost completely sexual yeah uh in the in the east uh it just means a path of study it could mean a lot of things, right? Um, but but we're going to use this in, a, in, a, in terms of using your sexuality as a conduit to uh, closer connection with the divine. And so I started studying that. Big fun. Uh, I'm happily married. And I was like, hey, hon, let's try some things. And he's like, <laughs> heck yeah. Um, and so, <laughs> and so um, I started studying this. And so I studied the original master's uh, out of um, out of Hinduism and, and Buddhism, and it's all very male focused. Mm. And they they suggest things, and and this is going to escalate quickly. Is that okay if we Go get into off. not yeah, some, yeah, not yeah, safe yeah. for work? Okay. So <laughs> one of the biggest things that that they all say, both in the Taoist traditions and in in, in the Hindu traditions of of uh, using sexuality for enlightenment, they say that the man should pinch himself off so that he doesn't ejaculate when he orgasms. Yeah. That, that escalated very quickly, I realized. <laughs> <laughs> and most men will read that and go, hold up. Yeah. No, thank you. Yeah, that's where it just no, stops. No, thank you. <laughs> Done, yeah. And, um, and, and so I'm like, well, why? Well, that's because the man would like to be able to orgasm again. Mm-hmm. Why not, right? Wouldn't that be lovely to, to, to be able to have that again? in the same encounter. And I'm like, well, that doesn't sound like fun. I don't think I can convince my husband to do that. So uh, then I went and I read um, Margot Anand. Her writing is amazing. I highly recommend her autobiography, uh, Love, Sex and Awakening. It's a page turner. <laughs> uh, and and uh, I love the way she writes. And so she came at it from a female perspective and she's a tantric teacher and she actually has something in there for the woman to do because in the, in the truly older uh, traditions, you st- you're reading about these techniques and what to do step-by-step step, and you start to ask yourself, is there a female in the room? Yeah. <laughs> like, is she, does she get to have an orgasm? I don't know. Um, so, so, so that wasn't really satisfying, pun intended for me. Uh, so then read Margot Anand's work and she, talks about methodologies for both the, um, the, the male and the female to, to reach enlightenment through sexuality, through orgasm. So at least it kind of brought the, the woman in there a little bit and she gets to have fun too and to have enlightenment as well. Um, but it was still, I felt like it was sort of missing something. And the something it was missing was the connection between the two people. Mm. 
so as opposed to two individuals individually working on their own enlightenment, oh yeah, and we're having sex. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted something that was more of connection between the partners. Mm. And this speaks to all relationships minus the sexuality, right? But a connection to another human being and how a relationship developments develops, but you can use sexuality for that. So I decided to make a new tantra, um, a new methodology that actually begins, you don't actually get to sex until the third step, but it begins by establishing trust and safety and grounding in the relationships. It's what every first date is, right? You feel safe with me. Um, I feel like I can trust you um, to, to not do things I don't like, maybe to do things that I do like, right? That this could be a, um, a real you know, give and take. And once you have safety and you have grounding, then, um, then you have to explore, uh, and this kind of goes by, by the chakras, right? Then you can start getting into that sexuality, but even that comes in stages. First is an exploration. Oh, this is the fun stuff. Try it, try it all. Try it with your partner whom with you have trust and you have safety and you have grounding. So you have a safe space that you can try whatever you wanna try. Yeah. Um, and then be super incredibly brutally honest. I like that. I didn't like that. Oh, I never wanna do that again. <laughs> I do wanna do that again. Yeah. I want some more of that. I want some that. And you just really honestly explore and play and try and have fun <laughs> and then once you kind of know what you like now you have a a repertoire of favorite favorite positions favorite uh toys favorite whatever um that and so that becomes the basis of this is how we like to do it and you'll find that couples kind of get into this uh i don't want to call it a rut i will call it a perfection <laughs> <laughs> this is kind of how we do and and you can change that up as you like too because you have that honesty already in there to say hmm, let's let's add something new so now within that you can start to explore energy how is my energy moving how is your energy moving um at, at, during different stages of the interaction um and especially at, at orgasm and and how does breathing and breath work change how my energy is interacting with your energy and you can play with that mm -hmm. now that you're not so preoccupied with what you like and what you don't like right yeah <laughs> you know yeah. you're gonna like the interaction so now you can now you can just enjoy the interaction and go well what am i feeling and how is the energy moving in my body and how does breath work and in this connection with my partner um and and you get to know that and you start to use breath in that interaction and how you're both breathing to, to cycle energy in and out of you both. And, um, and you play with that. And then there's a stage where you are um, learning to see the divine light in, in your partner and see the, the, and play with this idea of divine masculine and divine feminine. And, and this doesn't have to be a heterosexual relationship to have this be mm -hmm. wonderful. Divine masculine and divine feminine are in us all. Yeah, and yeah. what does that mean? And and there and I go into a long description of that because in our in our society, I think we miss really key aspects, you know, of what is divine masculine. Well, masculine is just power and rah, um, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it, but it can also be. I'm going to hold this space open and safe. Yeah. So that yeah. divine feminine can come in and swirl and dance and be witchy and and whatever she needs to be and feel safe doing so. And then as women were not always um, brought up to do that, to enter a space, imagine a room just walk in, waltz to the center and start dancing and swirling. <laughs> we don't do that. Yeah, and, and so so it's it's putting all of these phases together of connection with each other and then kind of following your partner through those stages of their development as well, those 11, that cycle, mm -hmm. right? Each day, each and every day, it's not as much work as it sounds. It becomes very natural. Where is my partner today? Oh, they 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 seem really stage three. I think I think he has some needs today. Um, maybe sexual needs, maybe intellectual, emotional 
you know, and, and um, to be able to express your needs to each other, fulfill those needs for each other, to talk about ideology, uh, you know, and not get upset with each other, right? Just, just yeah, talk yeah. about it from an anthropological perspective. What do you think about this idea? What do you think about that idea? Um, to talk about each other's purpose, to talk about consciousness, to talk about God, to talk about divine, uh, and explore all these themes together. And boy, when you do that, you become so intensely connected with each other that that's going to cycle back to the bedroom. Yeah. And that that intense heart-to-heart -heart connection and then the energy interaction gets stronger and it all swirls up and then boom, you know, fireworks. Um, and an interesting, so, so I had this challenge for people and this was the title of the book and I'm not just being cheeky. It's a for real challenge. It's make love every day. Okay. Whether with yourself <laughs> or with someone else <laughs> okay. with your part with your partner but an individual can can use sexuality on their own as well mm -hmm. and has because you have a relationship to self that needs to be developed as well mm -hmm. to love yourself to be connected to yourself and uh, and so and you go and and most of the dudes go yay uh but um and most of them go really oh my god this is so much work no 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 it becomes beautiful because it has a couple of really interesting um effects. One of the effects is that when sex is no longer a question, it's not a power struggle. It's not a will she or won't she. It's not a I'm going to hold this against you. If you want this, you have to do this for me. Um, it's not that he's got to be nice or do certain things. No, you take all that away. If he knows he's going to get it every morning, regardless. <laughs> Some very fascinating things happen. And it, it is that you actually start to work harder to be romantic, to be sexy, to be worthy of this daily reaction. And this is quite the opposite of what I thought that people oh, wouldn't try really? anymore. No, yeah, they yeah. try harder. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, we're going to light the candles. Uh, you know, we're going to, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. Just, just the little things the, the touch as you pass in the hallway the smile, the looking in the eyes and the saying, you know, of, of the words of, oh man, thank you for washing the dishes. That was so sweet. Or, you know, what can I do for you today? And you just start trying so hard. But it becomes this um, really fascinating exploration. Um, and when we started trying that, uh, again, it was an experiment. I love to try new things. I'm like, huh, what would happen if we just like did it every day? And he's like, I don't know, but I'd like to find out. <laughs> All right, I'm totally in. Um, and and uh, and it's and we thought it was just going to be a temporary experiment, but it's actually been going on for years now. <laughs> so I wrote so I wrote this book, Make Love Every Day, and I put all of the uh, practices in there. Now, it doesn't mean that to do this well, you have to make love every day, but uh, anything you do every day, you're going to get very, very good at it. Very yeah, quickly. yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so that's a, that's another plus thought. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, all right. Yeah. Well, uh, this was an amazing podcast. I have to ask you the question <laughs> of the podcast. So, uh, yes. Catherine, God, yay or nay? Without a doubt, you are. You are. All right. I like that. Nice <laughs> and simple. <laughs> uh, thank you so much, uh, Catherine. Uh, please uh, let my audience know uh, anything uh, you want to promote, uh, anything about you, where they can get a hold of you, any of that stuff. Please let them yes, know. Yes, absolutely. Um, you can find everything about what I'm doing, what I'm working on at the website, katherinecolleen.com. Uh, Nora, I'll send you, I'll send you the link. Um, you can go there. You can see where the tour stops are coming. You can text me right from there and let me know, hey, let's have a coffee shop meeting. Um, let's have a meeting in the yoga studio. Let's do a workshop, whatever. Let me know. I'm into it. Um, and uh, you can get to the books from there. You can get to articles, guided meditations, music albums, and all the stuff. So katherinecolleen.com is the way to go. And uh, if I had any one ask for everybody, it's to for yourself. Don't do any, you don't need to do anything for me. Do it for yourself. Look at the stages and ask yourself where you are today and where you want to be. And, and then just 
follow follow the instructions to get there. It's all there. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, thank you so much, Catherine. This is great. Thank you. This is wonderful. All right, that was another episode. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Please like and subscribe to the podcast. Give it a good rating. That always does help. Check me out on Instagram, at NewerKidY, and all the other social media platforms. And my website is NewerKidY.com. You can check out my comedy dates and stuff like that on there as well. And you can check out all my comedy videos as well, which I really do appreciate. This uh, podcast is part of the Comedy Here Often podcast network on 604 Records. Give them a check out as well, and you can see more podcasts from other comedians and uh, funny people in Canada. Thanks so much, guys, and I'll see you again on another episode of God Yay or Nay.